Welcome to Faith That Works in Real Life, the weekly sermon podcast produced by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Let's get started. Well, good morning again, everyone. I just, like, I feel like we just need to practice that response. <laughs> it's like, you're not sure, like, okay, is this a good morning? I'm not quite sure yet. So let's try it again. Good morning, everyone. Excellent. Thank you. Wonderful. This is the Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So one of the things that I I feel like is true for me is that so much of what I've learned about who God is and how I can relate with God comes from being a parent. And like I said, it's my daughter's birthday today, so my kids are on my mind. And I love to think about the conversations that we have with one another. I've always loved having conversations back and forth with them when they were little, but now that both of my kids were teenagers, like for me, I'm in the prime of my parenting. Like, I love that they are teenagers. I love the conversations that we have together. I love their sarcasm. I love the way that they pick on me and and all of the things that they do, all of those things that are part of our relationship. But one of the conversations that I've had with them time and time again since they were little goes kind of the same way. It's become this little ritual for us. And so whether I'm looking at my son or I'm looking at my daughter, I'll say something like, you know what? You are my favorite son. Or you are my favorite daughter. And they'll both respond exactly the same way. They'll be like, I'm your only son, or I'm your only daughter, right? You know, in that, in that tone that only teenagers can really do. And so I say, you're my favorite daughter. Well, I'm your only daughter. And then I respond, of all the daughters in the world, or of all the sons in the world, you are my favorite. And we have that conversation um, often. And I think it's something that is a little ritual that we've created that I believe is at the heart of what this voice from heaven, which I am assuming is the Father, says to Jesus when he comes up out of the water in our gospel reading for today. It says, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And if you read the different gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism, you might hear a few differences. In Matthew's gospel, everyone hears this voice that says, this is my son. In Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel, it's just Jesus who hears it. And John just kind of does his own thing most of the time anyways. But I think it helps us understand some things about who Jesus is right from the beginning. And sometimes when we think about the differences in the way that the stories are told, like we kind of ask the question like, well, which one is accurate, right? Which one got it right? Was it Matthew that got it right or was it Mark and Luke that got it right? And the answer is yes, right? 
The answer is yes, because at the heart of each of the Gospels, there is something that the, that the Gospel writer is trying to communicate. And in Mark's Gospel, we focused on this quite a bit over the last several weeks. As we've been working through Mark, we've talked a lot about this. And so if I was to say, like, what is the primary purpose of Mark's Gospel, then hopefully everyone would say, like, is to write the, the script to the next season of The Chosen. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention, because no, that's not it at all. The purpose of Mark's gospel is to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The purpose of the gospels in the way that they're told is not so that we can have this perfect record of somebody walking around with a video camera documenting every word and every step and every breath. It's so that uh, the message, the true heart of who God is, can be revealed to us in and through Jesus. And in Mark's gospel, the question that's being asked time and time again is, who is Jesus? And so Mark's intent is to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And one of the ways that Mark gets at this in his proclamation, I think, starts right at the beginning, right at the story of the telling of Jesus' baptism. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the word for beloved there is agapatos, which sounds a lot like the word agape. And we don't have to know Greek, we don't have to know Hebrew, we don't have to exegete all these things and pay attention to all the nuance and everything, but just know that this word means beloved, it means dear. And another way that we can think of it is it's God saying, I favor you, or like the conversation that I have with my kids, you are my favorite. So this is pretty much the voice of God saying, you are my favorite. And he says it to Jesus, but he also says it to us, and I think that that's the heart of this conversation today. Because this sounds like the conversation between a loving God and God's people. It sounds like the conversation between a loving parent and their child. The voice of God the Father says to the Son, Jesus, I'm proud of you. I favor you. You are my favorite, and with you, I am well pleased. But I want you to notice something really important in the way that Mark tells this story. So we pick up the story today in Mark chapter 1, beginning of Mark's gospel, at verse 9. And does anyone know what happens in the eight verses prior to this? Like, what does Mark tell us about Jesus in verses 1 through 8? Absolutely nothing, right? So in the way that Mark tells the gospel, there are no miracles, there's no teaching, there's no virgin birth stories, there's nothing, nothing exceptional. In fact, it says nothing at all about Jesus except that he's coming and to prepare. And so I would argue that what God says to Jesus as he rises up out of the waters of baptism and the conditions in which he says them are at the very heart of the gospel that we hear Jesus came proclaiming a little bit later on in verse 15. It's like God is saying to Jesus, I'm proud of you before you can ever accomplish a thing. Before you taught the Sermon on the Mount, before you performed any miracles, I'm proud of you. I love you just because you exist. And with you, I am well pleased. I favor you. You are my favorite. And that sounds so much like what God declared about all of creation back in the beginning, when God created and declared what God created to be good. 
And so some of you might nod in affirmation, and if we weren't Lutheran, you might clap and shout amen, and some people might shake tambourines. But we're Lutheran, so we're just kind of sitting here. Right? There you go. Thank you, Eric. That was like spirit fingers. Thank you. So we recognize when we say something like that, that this is good news, right? And maybe it's even the gospel. But if I was to carry this mic around and just hand it to people in the room and say, like, tell me what the gospel is, I would imagine I would hear something quite different because of how we've been shaped by the things that have been told us and taught to us, even in the church. So I'm just going to take the mic and I'm going to pass it around to everybody, and I'm, I'm kidding about that. We're not going to do that. So, but in, in so many words, here's the gospel that many of us have heard. Here's the gospel that many of us have even settled for as the good news. Listen and see if you sound anything, hear anything that sounds familiar. I am a wretched, depraved, no good, dirty, rotten sinner. And because I'm a wretched, depraved, no good, dirty, rotten sinner, God should kill me and condemn me to an eternity of unimaginable suffering. Why? Because God is vengeful and needs to kill someone to appease his vengeance. This is why God killed Jesus, because God needed blood. And so I need to repent. I need to admit that I'm a wretched, depraved, no good, dirty, rotten sinner. And then God will let me into heaven when I die. Why? Because God loves me. Right? I mean, that sounds different than the conversations that we hear God having with Jesus. It sounds different than the gospel that we hear proclaimed over and over and over again. In fact, if I were to treat my kids this way, if I was to talk to them this way, they would lock me up for being abusive. Because the gospel, when you proclaim it in that way, whether you, you use those specific words or not, even in the subtle ways that we make that into the quote-unquote good news, it stops sounding good at some point, doesn't it? And I wonder if there's something to that. Because as far as I'm concerned, the good news, the intent of the good news is not to remind us of our wretchedness or our depravity or how terrible we are. The good news is to remind us that we are beloved. The good news is to remind us that we are loved, period. It reunites us from this confused image of who we think we are, the image that we so often settle for, with the actual image in which we were created, the image of God. So much so that even the worst thing that we can imagine happening to any of us, death, doesn't get the final word. And the good news reunites us with the truth that God has always said about us, that you are beloved, period. And so first and foremost, of all of the things that you can be, be loved, because you are. I'm not a fundamentalist about many things, but I'm a fundamentalist about that. 100%. And maybe that makes you uncomfortable. If it does, I'm just going to say good. As a friend of mine says, God loves you no matter what. Deal with it. Faith That Works in Real Life is brought to you by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. To learn more about how to connect with our church community, please visit messiahlc.com. Let's get back to the message. And so then what happens? 
I mean, we hear this and we affirm this, and it actually stirs something in us. We recognize that maybe this is actually good news. But then what happens? As soon as we gain confidence in our identity as children of God who are made in the image of God, every power that opposes love in this world tries to convince us otherwise. For Jesus, it looked like this in our text, and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days and tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. And so Mark doesn't tell us a whole lot about what happened in that time, but when we look to the other gospel tellings, we hear the ways that Jesus is tempted. So this voice, whether Jesus is the only one that's heard it or if everybody heard it, it has just proclaimed that this is the Son of God, the Beloved. With him, God is well pleased. And do you remember what the temptations are like? So Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness, and this has just been proclaimed. And the first thing that Satan says is, if you are, he calls it into question. And that's the subtle trick of that which opposes love in this world. We are who God says we are. We are God's beloved. We were made in the image of God. We were created by a loving God in that image. That is who we are. And any voice that tells us something different than that is a lie. It just is. And so when we hear that proclaimed, like there's something that stirs in us, but then we buy into the message that says like, well, wait, wait, what about fill in the blank? What about this? If you are, then why are you, nah. And you can see how our identity starts to get lost. But Jesus wasn't falling for it. He wasn't falling for it. And so instead, he came out of the wilderness, not with a lack of confidence in who he is. Instead, he came out saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe and the good news. Jesus never lost sight of who he is, who God affirmed him to be, the beloved. Never lost sight of that. But I do get lost sometimes, and my guess is so do you. I do lose sight of who God is and who I am, and my guess is so do you. And I get weighed down by all the voices that are trying to convince me that I'm someone that God says I'm not. And so I need the good news proclaimed again and again and again. Because it's like what Paul says, that faith comes through hearing. And so we remind ourselves when we gather in this place, and we remind ourselves day after day after day, that we are who God says we are, not who others do. That our primary identity is as a child of God, made in the image of God, beloved by God. We can even say, you know what? We're God's favorite. And you can't just say, like, I'm God's favorite, and God doesn't really think very fondly of you. Like, no matter what you think of your neighbor, right? Like, your neighbor who you don't like, God's favorite. Not going to apologize about it. It's just true. And so Jesus calls you and me and everyone else to repent. We get stuck on that word sometimes, too, don't we? We've talked about it a lot recently, actually. Repent. It means something different than just saying, like, 
all those things that maybe the other messages in this world are telling us. Like, to repent isn't just to say, like, oh, I'm a horrible, terrible, no good, rotten sinner who does bad things all the time every day, and God, if you can find it in your grace to let me into heaven when I die, would you please do that? Like, that's not really what's happening here. So, to repent, it means a lot of things. It means to turn around. As Pastor Tim talked about a few weeks ago, that God is the primary driver in our repentance. It's not something that we can even do in our own strength. But repentance also means very literally to change your mind. Change your mind. And so when our mind starts going in these directions that are trying to convince us that we're someone that we're not, that we're not lovable, that we're not loved, that's not the foundation of who we are. Then we have to remember we have to change our mind. And so we might say that repentance is a way of remembering. We remember who we are. And that's different than saying I'm a wretched, depraved, no good, dirty, rotten sinner and agreeing that God should kill me or condemn me to an eternity of unimaginable suffering. It's different. To repent is to remember who you really are. Beloved. Period. End of story. And Jesus then implores us to believe in what we're remembering, to believe it. And that's not just saying like, oh, light bulb, I get it. It makes sense in my head because honestly, it doesn't make sense in my head. But to believe it means to live like it's true because our belief is always tied to our actions. And what would happen if we actually lived like that was true? If we lived in our identity in Christ, if we lived as the beloved, not as the supposed wretched and depraved, what would things be like? I can tell you some things that I think it wouldn't be like. Like, I, I would think that if we were secure in our identity as the beloved children of God, then we could go to a Super Bowl parade and not get shot. I believe that if we were secure in our identity as children of God, made in the image of God, who is loved, beloved by God, if we felt secure in that identity, then in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the homicides in 2024 would not be dominated by teenagers. I imagine that if we were confident in who we are, as beloved children of God, made in the image of God, made in the image of, of love, then I believe that we could actually disagree with our neighbor and not cancel them. What would it look like for us to believe who we are? To believe who God says we are? And so I think it's so essential for us to look at the way that Jesus speaks to his son and then speaks through his son to us. So when Jesus hears these words from his father that you are a, you're beloved, I'm proud of you, you're my favorite, I can with every confidence proclaim that over us too, that we are God's favorite. We are favored by God. And just like in Mark's telling of the gospel, it's not because we've done a whole bunch of stuff to get us to that point. At the heart of this good news is that we haven't done a thing, right? We are loved just because we are. 
And maybe that sounds simple, maybe it sounds simplistic, but I can tell you it's hard to embrace. But if we can learn to embrace that more and more fully as we hear it again and again and again, as we start to believe that this is true about myself, as we start to believe that this is true about my neighbor who I can't stand, and if I start to believe this about all of those who are God's children, which, by the way, is everybody, then I wonder what the world will look like tomorrow and the next day and the next. What happens when we remember, when we repent, and then we believe. The world changes. The world starts to look like what I think every one of us would long for it to look like. It starts to look more like what God intended in the beginning. And then maybe one day, in fact, I can with confidence say one day, all of this will be redeemed and renewed and made whole. And things will finally be right in this world. That's how powerful the good news that Jesus came proclaiming is. And so we will proclaim it again and again and again and again and again to help us remember who we really are. Let's pray. God, I give you thanks for today. Thank you for yet another chance to remember Yes, to be aware of the things that I do, the things that we do, that maybe are a departure from the way that you would have us live in this world. But I pray that remembering would stir in us not, um, not the guilt and shame, those things that can only come from the pits of hell, but I pray that that remembering would lead us to remember who we truly are, that we are not those things. We are not the things that we've done. We're not the things that others say about us. We are who you say we are. And you have called us loved. You have called us beloved. You have gone to impossible lengths to include us in your family. Before we could ever do a thing, you loved us completely. And so I pray that that would change us today. That the good news of that would fill us and fulfill us in such a way that we might go forth into the world and be part of your light that shines so brightly, even in the darkest places. Strengthen us, Lord Jesus, by your love. Help us to remember who we are in you as beloved children of God. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the end of our podcast. Thank you for listening to Faith That Works in Real Life, a podcast produced by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Please follow us on social media and listen to our podcast on your favorite platform.